0: Uh, well, thank you, Choir. Uh, I, I saw there, it said, a, what a traditional spiritual. I thought, sure, that was Andre Crouch who had uh, written that. Uh, anyone, anyone here my age remember Andre Crouch? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, we're getting near the end. Uh, there are only four sermons left, counting this one for Revelation. And uh, as a result because we're getting near the end of Revelation, we are getting near the end of uh, man's history on earth, or or at least on this present earth. This history of man has been a mixture of of good and bad, as you know, of, of blessings and curses. It has been marked ever since the fall, way back in the Garden of Eden. You may remember us going through Genesis. Ever since that time our history has been marked by an ongoing battles between two forces. The forces of of God, the forces of Satan. And the coming of Christ and his work on the cross, that marked the climactic point. It's the great battle that doomed Satan and and his forces. Even so, as Revelation makes clear those evil forces continue to fight on. They're trying to harm as, as much of Christ's church as they can. They're trying to harm his people. Nevertheless, again, as we have learned through all of Scripture, but particularly here in Revelation, God is in control. He is sending out his angels. It's he who's sending them out. It's his angels who are going out and they're inflicting punishment. Even so, the troubles that are sent there are restrained, okay. and they're restrained for the purpose of repentance. And yet, as we see time and time again, repentance is what people will not do. Now, in our chapter, chapter sixteen, comes the final outpouring of troubles: the the seven bowls of woe. Now, if you got that insert and you're looking at the four kind of outlines, I won't get there yet. I'll get there in a moment. But uh, first of all, we're just going to take a look at the passage itself and just pick up an understanding of what's going forth. So let's list these seven bowls of woes. The first bowl is that of harmful and painful swords. The second bowl is some kind of bloody substance in the sea that kills all sea life. Third is the same kind of substance that is poured into the rivers and the springs and no doubt ruins the drinking water. Fourth is fierce heat that scorches people. Fifth is darkness. Sixth is limited to the great river of the Euphrates. And that river is dried up. And we'll see in a moment why it is dried up. And then seventh and final is this tremendous earthquake that is accompanied with thunder and lightning. So every aspect of creation is affected. The sea, the land, the air. And all of the woes are plagues upon a particular people. They are the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. We're told that an angel declares these plagues to being just judgments. It is what they deserve. They are a just vengeance brought about by God, the Holy One. Well, we say vengeance is, is the Lord's. Well, that vengeance is coming. And they are in retribution For the unjust persecution of his people, who are called the saints and the prophets. All of this together indicates that the end indeed is near. Now, whereas before we looked at those we've seen other woes and troubles, the woes of the of the seals and and the trumpets, and yet they were limited in such a way. They have spoken of the trials and the judgments that humankind has experienced throughout human history. But now, the climax is drawing near. Now we're not just talking about what just keeps going on time and time after time. Now the bowls of wrath are being emptied for the final day. Now that sixth bowl, that is what prepares the way for the last battle, which will be coming up in a couple of chapters later. The Euphrates is dried up for the very purpose of allowing the, the rulers of the earth to gather their forces for what? At, well, it's against God's people, against his church. These earthly rulers are being moved by spiritual forces, that is, by demonic spirits. They're being moved at the beckoning of that first beast, Satan's military general. Now, however one again, interprets these activities. The last battle is looming between the forces of Satan, the forces of Christ. It soon will appear. That's the lesson that is here. Now, what then are the particular lessons for us to understand? Well, first of all, we've already said this, and this is where you can now kind of follow along in that insert. The end is coming. The history of this earth, of of earthly life, is not circular. Human history isn't just kind of going around and around and around. We're just repeating the same thing over again. It is marching along a timeline that has an ending. It's a definite ending. It is an ending that is planned, that is approaching according to the will of God who has planned it. And as surely as God knows the days of our own lives, he knows the final day of this world. Now, we at best, we can only speculate. We can try to devise our own timelines through the ways that we interpret revelation and other passages. But we have to admit that we see, as the scripture says, through a glass darkling. So far, I mean, there have been those who have tried to give specific dates. They've all been proven wrong. But whether Christ's return is today, or it's another 10,000 years, it will occur at the time set by God the Father. Just as Christ's first coming was determined, and it took place, as Scripture says, in the fullness of time, so Christ returned will take place in the fullness of time as God has planned. So the, there is an end. It is coming. Second thing we are to learn is that ending involves judgment. And that's why we, we sang that last uh, hymn. Lo, he, um, he descends upon clouds. He's coming. He's ascending upon clouds to bring judgment. It will be a full judgment, one that is not restrained and that is unmixed with mercy. These bowls of wrath that are are being poured out, there's nothing else in there except wrath. Now, it is a, a just judgment. The receiver is receiving what they deserve. God, in this case, does not hold back the angels. He doesn't say, this is only as far as you can go. The boundaries are not set against where the woes may go and upon whom they may fall. Now, twice we're told specifically, the people did not repent. Indeed, they cursed God. They did not repent as the judgments fell upon them. But then, these judgments really are not intended as kind of a corrective discipline. That time for repentance, for second chances, the time for redemption, it's passing if it has not already passed. These judgments are not wake-up calls for the wicked. Their full punishment is now coming upon them. And again, it will be a just judgment. Verse 7, And I heard the altar saying, Yes, the Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now, I'll make a confession. When I, when I read these passages in Revelation, particularly this passage, it, these scenarios shake me. I mean, verse 6 speaks of these receivers, these ones here, as having shed the blood of saints and prophets. But they are for everyone, everyone who has received the mark of the beast. And I think about those who do not bear that same kind of, of guilt. I mean, they have not believed the gospel. They do not follow Christ. But they have been persecuting uh, his people. Indeed, all of us, can't we? We can think of neighbors. We can think of loved ones in our families When we consider to be good people. And we have to ask, will they receive the wrath of God? Well, there is no category in Scripture of people who reject Christ, but nevertheless, they're really good people, and so they will avoid judgment. It it just isn't in there in Scripture. Now, there are indications, there's some indication, that there are measures of how much punishment one person will receive as opposed to another. You know, Jesus warned Capernaum, It says that you're going to receive a harsher judgment than that of Sodom. But even then, what that means is that the measure that is being poured out in terms of punishment is based more on the advantages that one has received or been denied. The the reason that Capernaum will be judged more harshly is not that they are more wicked, but because Jesus was in their midst and they rejected him. So even when our good neighbors and our loved ones are actually in a similar position, they they know of Jesus. They know the claims about him. And yet they have rejected him. Well, whatever anyone receives, what we're told by Scripture is that it is what will be deserved. It will be according to justice. We may question God's justice. But even when we do that, what we're what we're revealing is not not insight into God's character, but our own. We are not holy like God. We are not all-knowing like God. We do not have within us the righteousness that forms God's essence. We cannot have the clarity to know the justice that is due. We may question God's mercy. But again, we are revealing more our lack of understanding. I mean, have you ever thought about this? When we speak of mercy, what we, are, what we really mean is giving a person a fair shake. Isn't it? You know, we want to take into consideration extenuating circumstances that, you know, hey, that gives a person the, the right to be treated more kindly. You know, what if we were in that situation? And, and and so that's really what we're talking about. is not mercy, just trying to do what is right and fair. But true mercy, the kind that God gives, what it means is putting aside fairness altogether. It's putting aside circumstances. That circumstances only really appear to make a person better than he or she is. Now, God's mercy is pure mercy. It's giving grace. It is giving what the guilty have no claim to possess. See, that's the kind of mercy Jesus meant when he held up God our Father as our model for showing mercy. Let me read it from Luke 6. He says, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So God is being merciful even at this very moment. He's showing mercy to the To the ungrateful, to the evil. But what Revelation is teaching us is that the time will come when the bowls that are filled with His just wrath will be poured out and the mercy will be over. We need to be clear about what is at stake with the gospel. You know, oftentimes the gospel is presented this way as kind of a as a means to to make lives better. You're having troubles in life? Come to Jesus. He'll make things He'll make things better for you. Or the gospel is presented in a way to kind of just a way to get connected with God. Do you do you feel distant from God? Do you, do you feel like something is is just missing in your life? Come to Jesus. Jesus will fill that gap for you. Or it's sometimes presented along kind of with religion in general. The gospel is kind of seen as a way to to build good character. It's a good way of providing a moral way of life and kind of gives motivation for following that life. That's, That's why in the past, and there have been many of those who have not believed God, not believed in him, but they think it's good for the masses to have that kind of belief because it helps them to, to live moral lives. And so we're to follow the moral teachings of Jesus. We're to emulate his life so that we will be better persons. Now, there's truth in all of these statements. Okay? But what we must understand, what we must make clear to others, is that Jesus came for the express purpose To save sinners, to save them from the wrath that will fall upon them. As Jesus said once in Luke 12, he says, I will warn you whom to fear. You want to know who to fear? Fear him who, he's speaking here of God, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It is hell. It is condemnation. It is judgment that looms over sinners. And it is for that peril that Jesus, through God the Father's mercy, went to the cross. So the end is coming. Judgment will take place. And so, to his church, Jesus has a message. It's in here in verse 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And this is the same call, It's the same type of call that was made back in chapter 13.10 and chapter 14.12 that way it was put in a different way, about endurance. Endure whatever comes by way of persecution and temptation. Remain faithful. Put it in other words, stay awake. Be clothed. Be ready for Christ's return who will come with the judgment. It's not about ourselves having to endure the day of judgment. It's because Christ took that upon himself in the cross. He took that upon himself. But it is about us staying the course of faithfully following our Lord as the final judgment draws near. You know, the, tra- the tragic life, the tragic life is that of one who has, who has professed Christ and then has fallen away. Sometimes it's because of trials. They were not expecting hard things to happen to them. That wasn't in the picture. They've been promised a good life. And they were not expecting life to be hard for so long. They've been, been promised that they're going to be happy all the time in Jesus. And, but the cares of life over the years have taken their toll. Or for others, they, they started off ardent for the cause of Christ. Nothing could tempt them because their love for Jesus was so strong. But the years, again, took their toll. The years of temptation, the years of of living in the world and gradually, not immediately, just kind of gradually, falling into the ways of the world. There are still others who have fallen away because well, that end... That coming of Christ sure seems to be a long, long way. I, I thought it was supposed to be near. I, I read the late great planet Earth. I expected by now he was going to be here. When's it he going to come? Indeed, after a while, the only thing that really seems real is this Earth. Only what we can see. Again, this is the danger, trying to be precise about the end time. So even Jesus would not venture upon that. He expected to come and then it doesn't. Will it ever come? Well, it will. Revelation is teaching us the end will come. Christ will return. And his return will be like that of a thief. It will be sudden and it will be without warning. So stay awake he says to his church, stay faithful. And Indeed, Jesus asked this very question, Luke 19, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So, what are our lessons? The end is coming. Judgment will take place. Those who have faith in Jesus must stay awake and keep that faith. Now then, what is the message for those who who at least up to now have not turned to Jesus in faith? What now? Well, now is the day of salvation. As we're told in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The gospel, not judgment. It is the gospel that's going forward. You are being called not to appear before your judge, but to come to your Savior. Consider what that call is. It it is not to reform your life. You're not being called to to give up your life. It is not to to climb some never-ending ladder of, of rules and laws. Just get your life together It is to let go of your burdens that your Savior may take them upon himself. You're called not to pay your dues of discipline. You're called to trust in your Savior that he has taken your due discipline and punishment upon himself. You're not called to take upon yourself some some kind of rigorous religious way of life. You're not called to delve into to these complex philosophical and, and theological systems, you're called simply to distrust trust your Savior. Is that such a difficult call? Is that really a difficult way of salvation? Now is the time to repent. Do you know what Jesus' first words spoken in his ministry were? Repent the first word he spoke. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that is what remains at the heart of the gospel message. Indeed, they are the reason judgment, the final judgment, has yet to come. Peter explains this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slow, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Today, the Lord is patient. Today, Today, he does not want you to perish. As he says in Ezekiel 18, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should that he should turn from his way and live. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. So repent of of what you might ask, of your sins. Well, what sins? Well, let's just list a, a few. Your sin of denying your maker his due worship of going your own way as though he has no claim on you, as though he doesn't even exist. Your, your, your sin of insisting upon you being your own authority and no one can tell you what to do or to be. Your sin of making yourself the most important person of your life as though you were placed on this earth for no other reason And to have and to be whatever it is you want most for yourself. There's the sin of refusing to acknowledge your sins, of pettiness, of envy, of vanity, of lying to protect yourself and to get what you want, of, of putting others down just so you can excuse your faults, make yourself seem better to yourself. That's the beginning of a list. You might protest that you're not that way. You know, yeah, you know, look, look, we're all human. We all have our faults, but well, that is how most people think, isn't it? We always have our excuses. We always have our arguments for why we are not as bad as we might seem, for why we deserve to be acceptance. I you know, I I just I just know when I'm going to appear before heaven, uh, you know, God God's going to let me off. The problem is we just cannot be humble with ourselves. We can't humble ourselves to see as God sees through to our very hearts. Whatever we may say, the real reason we do not repent is that it requires too much of us. And what it requires is his humility. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. So he says in Isaiah 1, But we refuse to reason. Because we will not admit that our sins are like scarlet that they are red like crimson. We, we just can't own up to being the wicked person, so, certainly not worthy of judgment. Our pride cannot let us. And so we are like those of Revelation 16, who even as they are punished, will not repent. Now is the day, though. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to believe in Jesus. In John 12, we're told, And Jesus cried out, and he said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Now, as I'm reading through that, what, what word, what, what passage stands out to you? Is it, is it Jesus' remark, I do not judge him? For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world? I mean, you go, well, look, uh, Jesus doesn't judge. So why should anyone else judge me? Why should the church judge me? Jesus, he's all about saving, not judging. Well, there's some truth to that. I mean, as as Jesus himself said, look, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, what does he say? I do not judge them. I mean, there you go. Jesus does not only not, not judge people, he doesn't judge them when they specifically reject him. And so again, why should anyone be in the business of judging others? Well, if we're not to be in the business of judging, we still must be in the business of warning. And that is what Jesus does. As he says there in verse 48, Look, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And the word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. The judgment will come. But now, now is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is the day of judgment. Now is the time to repent and to turn to Jesus and to believe in Him. Believe what about Him? That He alone can save you. You cannot repent well enough, you cannot re- reform yourself well enough. That is why there is the cross. For Jesus to do what none of us can do to make things right with God. And we might protest, we might argue, we might claim that we need more proof, but the gospel is clear. Without the saving work of Jesus Christ, we cannot be saved from the judgment to come. Acts 4.12 tells us, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And understand further, it is according to how we respond to Jesus that reveals our true understanding before God. You know the great passage, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then it goes on to say, for God did not send his, world, his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God today. Today is the day of salvation, it's a day to stop arguing. Stop making excuses. It's the day to repent, to admit that you're our sinner, to admit that you need Jesus. No, Jesus did not come to judge. He came to save. Today, let that salvation take place and come home to Jesus. Well, we thank you, our God, for today. This is a day of salvation. We thank you that today, now, that now is a day that we receive your mercy, your grace, your blessing. Give us the grace that we need to humble our own hearts, to humble ourselves, to repent, and turn to our Lord Jesus, who is calling to us. In his name we pray. Amen.